0: Welcome to Zion Fellowship's Bible Wire. In these podcasts, we discuss what the Bible says, line upon line and precept upon precept. Today, Tom Brennan will be continuing our study on the book of Acts. Settle in for the next few minutes and learn more about who God is and how he loves. We're continuing on with our study in Acts chapter 11, and now we're going to pick up where we left off last time. The well, last time we uh, stopped at verse 24, we were talking about Barnabas, who was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and uh, a great many people were added to the Lord at Antioch. So we see that that is what's going on. So uh, we're told in verses 23 to 24 that a great many people were added to the Lord, and this was a, there was a dramatic moving of the Spirit of God, and many were coming to Christ. Barnabas had been sent by the leaders in Jerusalem for the specific task of observing and shepherding this revival and his presence was greatly needed in Antioch so what happens here is particularly significant and Luke now reports something unexpected and startling so as he goes along talking about the Acts of the early church he says something that in the midst of this revival there is absolutely a tremendous move of God and Barnabas is using mightily and so what does Barnabas do? In in verse 25 it says, Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul. Now, this is in about the year 42 AD, right around there. And uh, so he leaves. Now, why would Barnabas leave? Well, he leaves to seek Saul. So in the midst of this Antioch outpouring, Barnabas sees many coming to Christ. He's glad and he strengthens them with his well-known gift of encouragement. Then he leaves Antioch and departs for Tarsus to seek Saul. The distance between Antioch and Tarsus is about 90 miles which is not a big deal to us today. But a day's journey back then was about 20 miles, give or take, some days more, some days less. So this trip would have taken Barnabas at least five days. And once he arrives in Tarsus, Saul is not immediately found. Then uh, what it says right here it, in the uh, Greek, it says that he goes to seek Saul. And it's more literally to hunt him up. Barnabas had to do some looking. Uh, John MacArthur says the original words suggest a laborious search on Barnabas's part. So Saul was so valuable to Barnabas that it was worth it for him to leave the work in Antioch for a season and search hard to find him. And I want to observe that it is sometimes God's purpose to go out of our way to include somebody. Sometimes he wants us to do that, even when the timing seems terrible or the urgency makes any delays seem unwise. Such is the case here. God knew the value of the ministry of Saul and Barnabas together would be even more powerful. One will set a thousand to flight and two will set ten thousand to flight. We've heard uh, that scripture before. And that means that there is a tenfold return if you're working with a partner. So God sent them out two by two, and here he's sending them out. Uh, I found this report uh, from a modern Bible student retracing the steps of Saul and Barnabas. Here's what she said, uh, Lorraine Varela. She said, the distance between Antioch and Tarsus is a three-hour drive today. The route took us over a high mountain range, striking us with how challenging it must have been in the first century to travel between these two cities. It gave us a new perspective as we considered the effort it took for Barnabas to, to collect Saul from Tarsus and bring him back to Antioch to be with the community of believers there. And then we have something from Matthew Henry. Uh, Matthew Henry has always got some good things to say, and he has this insight. That he would take, that Barnabas would take so much pain To bring an active, useful man out of obscurity, it was he that introduced Saul to the disciples at Jerusalem when they were shy of him. And it was he that brought him out of the corner into which he was driven into a more public station. It is a very good work to fetch a candle from under a bushel and to set it in a candlestick. And again, Matthew Henry says that he would bring in Saul at Antioch, who being a chief speaker and probably a more popular preacher, would be likely to eclipse him there by outshining him. So in other words, Barnabas was running the risk of actually being looked at as being inferior to Saul. But Barnabas is very willing to be eclipsed when it is for the public service. If God, by his grace, inclines us to do what good we can, according to the ability we have, we ought to rejoice if others that have larger capacities have larger opportunities and do more good than we can do. Barnabas sought, uh, Barnabas brought Saul to Antioch, though it might be lessening of himself, to teach us to seek the things of Christ more than our own things. That's an interesting side sideline right there. So Barnabas had humility about him as well as having this powerful ministry. I am a... I am a big, <laughs> very, very, uh, you know, I, I love this, 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 uh, the account of Barnabas in the scriptures. And, uh, yeah, it's just a wonderful thing. So, in verse 26, then we get into it. Next thing. Now, when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. Now, this is another 90-mile strenuous journey, at least five di- days of travel again. And then it says, uh, next verse, So it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. Saul had spent some 12 years in Tarsus since we last met him. These years were not wasted or lost, but spent in quiet ministry and preparation for future service. In all this, Antioch became a center for great preaching and teaching. Antioch had the greatest preachers in the first century, Barnabas, Paul, and Peter. In the second, Ignatius and Theophilus. In the third and fourth, Lucian, Theodore, Chrysostom, and Theodore. Uh, That's from Hughes. But it also had great informal preaching, which is often the best kind. Acts 11.20 reminds us that laymen spoke to the Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus. And this combination of great formal teaching and preaching and great informal teaching and preaching made the church community in Antioch something special and world-impacting. At this time in the church, a year was a significant investment of time. Saul and Barnabas did not just get things started, appoint leaders, and move on, but they stayed for an entire year, and the church was established on a firm foundation of apostolic authority. It is then reported by Luke that they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. They gathered publicly and house to house and taught from morning to night. These meetings were not just once a week, but daily gatherings, both formal and informal. And then we have an interesting um, statement here. It says, "And the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch." So all of us who today use that name, we call ourselves Christians. This all started in Antioch, and this is a result of these two ministering together. And it had a profound impact on the city. It wasn't until these years at the church in Syrian Antioch that the name Christian became associated with the followers of Jesus. They had been called disciples. They had been called saints. They had been called believers. They had been called brothers. They had been called witnesses. They had been called followers of the way. They had been called Nazarenes. And there was a lot of unflattering names, I'm sure they were called as well. But now they will be called Christians. And in Latin, the ending I-A-N, like in Christian, meant the party of. A Christian was of the party of Jesus. Christian was sort of like saying Jesusites or Jesus people which you still hear that phrase being, uh, being used today, describing the people associated with Jesus Christ. Boyce thinks the idea was that they were called Christ ones. So in Antioch, they probably first used the term Christians to mock the followers of Jesus. Antioch was famous for its readiness to jeer and call names. It was known by its witty epigrams. But as the people of Antioch called the followers of Jesus the Jesus people, the believers appreciated the title so much that it stuck and they adopted it. Uh, Dr. Harry Ironside, said that when he was traveling in China years ago, he was frequently introduced as Yasu Yan. At first he did not know what the word meant, but he asked about it and learned that Yasu was the Cantonese word for Jesus, and Yan was man. So he was being introduced as a Jesus man. May this be our testimony as well. May people see us and say, that's a Jesus man, that's a Jesus woman. Now the next thing, we hear something interesting here, and this goes on in verse 27 here. Um, and it starts out by, t- in those days, first of all, in those days, prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. So again, we need to take into consideration this wasn't hopping on a train. It wasn't, it wasn't getting into a car and going down the interstate. This wasn't um, a plane. It was The distance between Jerusalem and Antioch is 300 miles, about 15 days of travel. Uh, they knew that they, that they had a message and were willing to travel this distance to deliver it. There is a price to bring God's message to people. So in those days, prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. And then one of them named Agabus stood up and showed by the spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. This they also did and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. We don't know exactly how Agabus showed by the Spirit the famine was on the way, but the Christians took the word seriously and generously prepared to meet the coming need. And here we have something from Bruce that we know from other sources that Claudius' princip Principiate was marked by a succession of bad harvests and consequent scarcity in various parts of the empire, in Rome, Greece, and Egypt, as well as in Judea. So we have a historical Uh, account that confirms that, yes, there was a famine. And then the disciples, it says here, it says here that these were disciples. You can tell they were truly disciples and Christians because they gave generously to meet the need. They gave each according to his ability, it says. So the church at Antioch was very well taught, and they were in a position to manage their finances in a competent and meaningful way. That's not a small thing. Very often you have churches who are you know, maybe there's they're a bit are a bit um, less than orderly. There's there's kind of a sense of anarchy. No one's really in charge, and that was not the case at Antioch. Antioch, the people were well taught. Their their finances were in order. When it came time to put a check together, so to speak, they knew how to do it and had the means to make that happen. So this means that everyone gave according to the ability of their resources. Those who had more gave more, probably referencing a proportional giving. It also means that they gave according to the ability of their faith. Trusting their gift to God's work was a worthy investment in his kingdom and not a loss. We also see they determined to give. If a person does not determine to give, they often never do. So it it says in the scripture, they determined to give. When you determine to give, you give. If you don't determine to give, you don't make up your mind, it never happens. So when you have a mind to do something, to give, make sure you follow through. So this was, uh, it, they sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. The high regard that Barnabas and Saul had among all was evident by the fact that they were trusted with the relief fund. Um, and then we have Boyce making the, uh, the observation that, as far as I know, this is the first charitable act in this nature in all recorded history. One race of people collecting money to help another people. No wonder they were first called Christians at Antioch. So we have this beautiful thing. The sun is rising on this great story of the church becoming a, um, a recognized entity that is worthy of respect as well as um, um, observation and understanding that they are something that is not just going to go away. So that happened at Antioch. So we're going to stop right there. We're going to pick it up next time. So thanks so much for listening to The Bible Wire. We have reached the end of today's Bible Wire podcast If you'd like more information about our church or if you'd like more resources related to this podcast you can find us online at www.zionfellowship.net We're also available on social media look for Zion Fellowship Thank you for joining us today on Bible Wire